Well, I'm glad that finally I said in the first service, finally Pastor Benny invites me to speak in the church again. <laughs> it's been a while and I've not been here for, uh, every time I'm here in the U.S., it's so busy. It's like, uh, you know, we only have one or two days to go shopping or do something else, but it's always teaching, meetings, and speaking to people. And it's been a, but it's an amazing time. I believe God is doing many things in the world. God is doing many things in our country. And we're excited at the new things that are happening. I do want to say that uh, the Nazarite training is uh, going to go in full force next year. Um, I have, the, when we started, I started a training three years ago. And it was because of a big need in the body of Christ. We had huge gatherings. I have been part of the call here in the U.S., attended several calls here, attended several international calls. I went to the call Berlin, went to the call Mexico, and uh, we did the first international call in the Philippines. So after all these big events, the, whole, the always uh, the same questions come up and what's, uh, that's been asked of me is what's next? And how are we going to sustain the fire of the young people? And that's the reason why we started the Nazarite training three years ago. Well, when we started the training three years ago, I said for the first year, I will only do the training in the Philippines and uh, do once in a while here in the U.S., you know, because we have JREV USA. And uh, for the last two and a half years, uh, the Lord spoke to me after that, that to do concentrate in the U.S. and in Australia. So all the requests that I have for the training, I have held back so I could do the training here in the U.S. and in Australia. But that is ending this December, and next year we're opening up the training in all Southeast Asia, South Korea, possibly Hong Kong, and Malaysia, Singapore, Taiwan, and uh, then we have started uh, this October, we're doing the training in Norway. Uh, one of our leaders did the training in the Netherlands, which is a Dutch guy, and uh, we'll explore to do it in, in, in Germany as well. So, uh, but here in the US, we're making a major push that we do a phase one, two, and three in February. And so, and phase three will be in March. So I, I hope that you'll, you'll be able to spend time and do that. Uh, it's been a busy, busy year. Uh, I have uh, next, we go home next, this coming Wednesday. And uh, we fly to Israel on September and we fly to Norway in October and we're back here on November for the training in New York. And uh, when I get back home on December, that's the time I, it's time to rest. <laughs> but every time I'm in the Philippines, I'm pastoring a church, you know. And uh, this year is also very special because this is the year we celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary, you know. And uh, <laughs> so we had 20 years, 25 years. And uh, also, it's of course special because uh, yesterday I celebrated my 50th birthday. They don't care this morning, so. <laughs> but, but it was, it's, it's really a special year. But I'd like to say that uh, earlier this year, the Lord spoke to me in a message that really burns in my heart. I initially wanted to share two messages, but yesterday... I think uh, we ate so much in the boiling crab that uh, I said when I got to the hotel, I just better stick to one message. But I'm going to share with you first a, a video that uh, 
speaks of a new revolution happening into this world and a revolution that we cannot ignore. And because of that, it has led us to many times uh, the, pa the fast pace of life made us to just forget about what God is doing and uh, be caught up in what we call the rat race of our society. So I'm going to show you. Let's, let's, let's watch this.
Isn't that amazing? What's happening in the world is faster than we can ever cope up with. And uh, it is happening all over the world. The globalization is faster than we think. And if we cannot adjust the way we shift our lives, we live our lives, we will be definitely affected. You know, I, maybe I, I should test, this is supposed to be a younger congregation than this morning. Maybe I could test you the uh, abilities of your social media language, okay? What do you mean by this? Okay, uh, yes, what do you mean by that? You know, what do you mean by LOL? Least offensive language? How about lingering over lunch? No, 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 no. That's laughing out loud, right? How about W-A-Y-D? Where are you, dude? <laughs> what are you doing, right? What are you doing? How about women are always your demise? <laughs> That's another one. How about A-P-A-H? A picnic at home? How about apples, peaches, and honey? Yeah, I have a good translation. All pastors are handsome. That's a good one. <laughs> How about I am H-O? You know that? Nobody knows that? In my humble opinion, right? How about S-I-T-D? Still in the dark. All right. How about EOD? End of discussion. Right. How about, can you translate this one? Can you go ahead to the next one? Today, Pastor Jerome S. Ocampo gives a message on. <laughs> Choosing to win. That's the title of the message. Because... Pastor Benny Aranyas is sleeping. Uh, <laughs> and I just <laughs> joke, lang and joke, joke. Okay. Okay. Well, what we're, we're we're trying to do is our time to do is I'm trying to wake you up to think that sometimes the world runs so fast, and because it runs so fast, we have a tendency to not know how to live our lives. Believe me, it's going to get faster than this. You know, and uh, in, in my situation, what I do every, every, you know, I pastor a church, and uh, we have a Christian school, and uh, if you ever visit the Philippines, our church in the sh is in the shopping mall, we're at Gateway Mall in Cabal, we're at the fourth floor, and uh, yeah, we also have a Christian school, and we have daughter churches, and at the same time, I do Jesus Revolution, which is at least two countries in a month. But sometimes when we go to a country, I feel the burden of the country. I, you know, we just, the Philippines just went through an election. And, uh, we, you know, we had so many issues that is so hard to really, uh, you know, overcome right even after the elections. And uh, so I have been fasting and praying for the Philippines for more than 10 years, you know, since we started Jesus Revolution. Sometimes I feel the weight of the responsibility and the heaviness in my heart. Uh, I remember, I think it was 2004 or 2005, I think, or four, we did the Jesus Revolution in Mexico, in Juarez, Mexico. And, uh, you know, those people there that organized, they're just very, very lovable people. And we fasted and prayed the whole day in a coliseum. And, after, you know, I, I barely understood anything because it was all in Spanish. 
But you know, our hearts broke out for the nation of Mexico. Right after that, I think two years ago, our friend, pastor friend in Mexico uh, emailed us and says that uh, uh, one of the pastors there, his son was kidnapped by the drug lords and was killed. They had recently had an election a uh, couple of months ago, and the senators, they have new sets of senators, new set of government officials. But my friend emailed me, you know, the nephew of our, our new elected senator, as again, was kidnapped and killed by the drug lords. So, you know, and you, you face this, you know, you go to a country and you pray and you know the people, you, you put a face to the language of the people and they become your friends and you know the problems and you cry out to God, Lord, what... What is happening and what can we do? And so the heaviness fell, fell upon me and the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly. And the Lord says, Jerome, I did not give you a miserable life. Uh, you just do what you have to do. Let me take care about changing the nations. And so because of that, I felt more comfortable. And I realized all I need to do is to accomplish what God told me to do and let God take, their, take care of the rest. Even though the problems of the Philippines escalate and you listen to the news, you feel so dis discouraged. And so let me give you the verse. And we go back one passage, uh, one slide earlier. And the verse is, I call it choosing to win in every generation. And the choice is really ours. It says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now, at first, this is a very common verse, but take a look at what it's saying. Would you, how about let me ask you a question. Would you run in a race that you know you can't win? Would you join in a game that you know you can't win? Right? Here, it is God simply assuring us, you see, not all of you will win. Everybody runs in a race, but only one wins the prize. So what are you saying? He's saying, well, absolutely 99.9%, .9 none of you will win. You set a goal, you set a vision, you set a God would do something for your marriage, for your job, for your career, for your life. Well, not, of you, not all of you will achieve it. But then he goes on to say, but run in such a way as if you're going to win. So you see, the real issue is not whether we win or lose or we get our goals fulfilled or not. The issue is how we run our race. How we live our lives. And so when we are praying for nations, praying for different countries and different situations, after so many years, nothing happens, the Lord spoke to me, that's none of your business. Just go ahead and run in such a way that you may win. Run with an attitude of winning. And I realized choosing to win, you know, winning is a choice. It's not a matter of circumstances. It's a matter of choice. You see... I realized that uh, many times when I look back in my life, I have what I call uh, possibilities. And I have two categories on possibilities. I call it accidents. What if this accident took place? What if I did not avoid the, the, you know, the barrier on the Southern Luzon Expressway when I was driving, and I, you know, I still remember it in my head. If I didn't turn to the right, I would have hit that barrier. It would have killed all of us, all the young people that were there. What if an accident took place, you know, when I was born or when I was going to school or when my father was still alive and he had had an accident? So what if, you know? But, you know, unfortunately, praise the Lord, it didn't happen. 
How about the decisions? What if I didn't decide to marry my wife? That would be scary, you know. <laughs> Married to somebody else. Or what if I never became a Christian? What if I did not decide to be a pastor of a church? Why didn't I start a Jesus revolution? Or what if, uh, for example, I never really, we never decided to give up our green card. You see, my wife had a green card and my two sons had green cards. And uh, we had made the decision way back in 1994 that, you know, we need to give up this, this uh, coming to, the, to America because our calling is in the Philippines. Everybody called us stupid. Everybody called us it was a foolish decision. Why would you give up an opportunity that you have? Well, we're so convinced that we're called to the Philippines. But, you know, we gave up America, but now we're traveling the world. How I many of you know God has a better plan always, right? <laughs> and so doesn't matter when sometimes it's so unreasonable and so big, but when you give it up for God, God has a better plan. It shows us that many times we're not in control of our destinies. It says in Isaiah 48 verse 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. God teaches us what is best for us, and many times we don't know what is best for us. And so God, how many of you know God knows you more than you know yourself, right? God knows what is best for you more than you know what is best for you. And so many times he redirects our destinies. And so we have to make a choice. If we don't get what we wanted to get, if we don't achieve the goal we wanted to achieve, if God somehow delays changing the Philippines and bringing a righteous government or changing America or California, or relenting or, uh, you know, delaying the solution of our economic crisis in this nation, what do we do? Do we give up because we know we can't win? No, no, no. We run in such a way that we may win. That's what it says. So how do we win? I have three points I'd like to share with you this morning. First, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So how do we run in such a way as to win according to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? First advice. First, you choose what you leave behind. You know... Uh, we need to make a choice. The choosing to win in every generation starts with choosing what you need to leave behind. I remember I became a Christian when I was 16 years old, and I made a choice to live, to live behind, you know, drinking, smoking, and all of that. That was a choice I had to make. But, you know, I realized that it's not just laying aside things that are good or seemingly good, but things that we used to practice. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, get rid of your feelings of hatred. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with dishonesty and jealousy, talking about others behind their back. It simply means that as we live this life, we should learn to leave behind even the negative things in our lives. You can make that choice today. If you want to win, if you want to run in such a way to win, leave behind the negative things. Maybe you're known to be a rumor monger, you know, or a gossiper. Or maybe you're known to be, have a tendency to be jealous 
when somebody is praised or envious when somebody else is blessed. You know, I've known you know, in our church, that's usually the struggle. When somebody comes forward, you know, just God gave me a big house. Everybody in their mind says, Lord, why him? Why not me? You know, <laughs> Lord, that's my prayer. Why did you steal it? Why did he steal my prayer? That's the answer to my prayer. Why did he steal the answer to my prayer? And many times we have an attitude that we need to leave behind. You know, attitude of jealousy, envy, or, you know, when people justify themselves and becomes angry and defensive and uh, justify it because they say, I'm capitenio or I'm warai, or they call their ethnicity as the reason for their negative attitudes. You know, let's not say I'm late because I'm a Filipino. Let's leave that behind, right? Amen. <laughs> Ouch. Amen. Let's not use our ethnicity as a reason or an excuse for the negative things we have because we can choose to leave them behind. We can make a choice. So how do we make that choice? How do we know what to leave behind? Where the very first thing, you know, if you run in a, in a marathon, when you do a game, you do it, you learn while it is revealed while you are running. I have some friends that decided to run the marathon, so they start practicing every day, running every day, and they realize, oh, I need more discipline. Oh, really? I need more, more um, protein. I need... And so they learn what to do while they are running. You don't learn it while sitting down. You don't, you don't, run, you don't learn how, what to leave behind while watching other people run. You learn it while you're running. And so how do you make those choices? You don't stop serving the Lord. You learn what is in your, in your life that you need to leave, leave behind while you participate in serving God. While you serve God in your marriage, in your job, in your career, in your business, in your, in your studies. While you do it, then you learn, oh, Lord, I need to rearrange my schedule. Lord, I need to be a better time manager. Lord, I need to be better this, better that, better husband, better wife, better son, better daughter. As you are doing it. You know, many times I've been a pastor for many years, and Pastor Benny probably knows this. A lot of people make excuses for not being in the ministry. Well, they say, well, Pastor, uh, you know, I just graduated uh, High school, so I want to take a break from the ministry as I enter into college for, I need to adjust. Okay. So he gets to college. Then he graduates college. Well, pastor, I need to break because I'm getting married. You know, I need to adjust. Okay, you get married. Now I need a break because I'm having kids. And everybody always uses excuses as adjustments in their lives to stay away from the race. And so you don't know what you leave behind because you're not running the race. You know, how many of you know you only learn while you are right there in the ministry itself? And ministry is a lifestyle. It's not a part of, you know, volunteer, you know, when your life is. I tell you, brothers and sisters, I believe you can raise a strong Christian family in America. And that Christian family can impact this nation. And you don't need to be afraid of the loss in the land. Because you know, if your Christianity is a lifestyle... It will impact this nation. You know why the homosexuals, why are they impacting Canada? Only 3% of, of the population of Canada is homosexual. You know but why they're impacting Canada? Because they are homosexuals 24-7. Right? 
Well, how many Christians, if we are Christians 24-7 as a lifestyle, we can impact this nation, amen? Because we are more than them. You see, when we always excuse ourselves quitting the race by adjusting to another form or phase of our lifestyle, then we actually miss the race. I don't think it's right. You see, a lot of people want to stay in equilibrium. You know what an equilibrium is? I have another word for it. It's called flatline. You know, you want to be flatline? You know what a flatline is? Flatline means you're dead, right? And Christianity is not a flatline. Christianity is a lot of ups and downs, a lot of struggles. Because when you have, you have ups and downs, that means you are alive, right? And don't say you want to live in equilibrium, status quo, just in your comfort zone. That's not the life that God wants us to live. He wants us to run the race. And he wants us to win it. And so, first, you only learn what you leave behind while running. Second, you follow the faith of those who have gone before you. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction upon the ends of the ages have come. Can you imagine all the problems of the Old Testament people were written so that we can learn? I probably, if David knew that his sin would be written down, he said, why would you ever write my sin on the Bible where the whole generations have to read? Well, I believe God set them up so that we can be blessed. I mean, you know, the Bibles, uh, the men in the, in the scriptures were set up by God so that you and I can have teaching. Amen? You always say, well, Pastor Jerome, I have problems in my life. You know, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not a good singer. I'm not a good speaker. I cannot convince people. So how can I be in their ministry or running in a race for God? Well, let me give you an example in the scriptures. Well, you know, Moses, he was a murderer. Any murderers here? No, praise the Lord. <laughs> Elijah had very deep depression. Gideon came from a very bad family, bad reputation. Samson had a recurring lust. Jacob was a liar, deceiver. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. And Joseph was a convict. Think about it. And they served God. And they ran the race. So what's our excuse? Think about it. All of those men that I mentioned, women I mentioned, are all written in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith. And think about it. They served God and they did it. They ran the race. So let's follow their example. Let's follow those who have gone before us. And we know that Jesus himself says that if we are, if we are going to run the race, he will walk with us. He will run with us. It says in Hebrews 2.18, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. You know, when you say, I'm going to win in this life, I'm going to choose to win, God runs with you. He sticks with you. The second point, you run your own race and refuse to give up. Don't run the races of other people. You know, I told this morning, there was a time I, I'm called to be a pastor of a church, but there was a time I wanted to be a businessman, you know, pastor, you know, pretending to be a businessman. You know, and I lost a lot of money. And the Lord spoke to me, you should be running your own race, not running other people's races. 
and I called you to be a pastor, not a businessman. So we have a lot of pastors pretending to be businessmen, and not a lot of businessmen pretending to be pastors, <laughs> unfortunately. But it's the, it's the, the Bible says, run your own race. Don't try to run other people's races. You don't compare your marriage to other people's marriages. Don't say they're having a good marriage while we're having a bad marriage. Why? Because that's not your marriage. This is your race. You run your own. And a lot of people have problems in their lives because they wanted to be somebody else running other people's races. And it should be we run our own. And the second point there is when you run your race, don't give up. Because the only way you lose is when you give up. If you don't give up, no matter how terrible you look, you will win. I mentioned this morning about the story of Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon Bonaparte, one of the greatest generals who ever lived, they call him as one of the a genius military statistician, uh, strategist who has won many, many battles in the field. And people ask him, how do you win in the battlefield? He has one advice. He says, it's not in the first R. That's the defining moment in the fight. It's not in the second R. It's in the last five minutes. So how do you win? You only win in the last five minutes. It simply means you out, outlive your opponent. You know, and don't quit. You know, somebody says, well, pastors, they leave the church. They quit becoming pastors at the average criticism of seven people regardless if their church is a thousand members a pastor would resign at the average of seven critical men in the church even though you have two thousand members i say to those pastors and i've said it to a lot of people all over the world how do you how do you fight critics you just outlive them let them die <laughs> And you will survive. Amen. Don't quit your marriage. Don't quit your job. Don't quit the life that God gave you. Don't quit the course that he has given you. Don't quit the vision that he has given you. Don't quit the ministry that God has given in your life. He has given you thoughts. He has given you dreams. Don't quit. Because you lose when you quit. Because that's the time we know that we are really winning for God. And we made the choice. When we never quit. Which leads me to the third and last point. Choose where you're headed. You make a choice. Your direction is your, your decision. The, Jesus, put your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. What you do is, will be the final outcome of your life. And I call that term, I use the term very heavily, legacy. You know, where do you want to end up in? That's legacy. Matthew 25, 21, his master replied, well done and good and faithful servant. Come and share the master, your, master hap, your master's happiness. So what do you think would make the master happy? It's not just wealth, accumulation of wealth, or accumulation of ministry, or the applause of men, or the achievements, whether you have PhD, DD, MD, or ADHD. <laughs> it doesn't matter because... You don't only leave behind property, you leave behind attitudes, character, integrity, your good name. You don't leave behind only just a bank account. And I said there that the measure of a saint 
is not determined by what you do, by what others do because of what you've done. It's not about what you did, but it's what other, people's, uh, other people do because of it. We call it the contagion factor. How contagious are you? Have you caused others to follow Christ? Measure of a saint is not determined by what you do, but what others do because of what you've done. Legacy is something you hand down from one generation to the next. You know, not restricted to money. And I tell the story of this thousand years ago. There was a church in Europe. And they built this huge building. And the builders of the church, the elders, had a whole plan. And it was wonderfully architecturally done. After 200 years, all the leaders and the pastors have died. A new, a new membership has taken over. 200 years has gone. And the, finally, the same building with a different congregation and different management. But the roof is starting to deteriorate. And so, the, the, you know, the... The leaders of the church says, we need to look how to replace the roof. It's a special kind of wood that you can't find anywhere. So they look at the plans. And when they open the plans, there was a small footnote. And it says there that the builder of the church has planted trees of the same wood in the middle of the forest. And after more than 100 years, those trees would have matured. And so what did the church members and the elders did? They went to the forest. And they saw the forest, these trees arranged in rows, exactly the same wood that their church needed, but the trees have already matured for 200 years, just in time to replace the wood. That's legacy. You don't just think of your generation, you think of the next generation. You just don't think of your family line this time, you think of the next family line. You know? And I think it's important that we learn to be able to transfer the legacy that God did in us and in our lives. You see, you know, Pastor Benny starting a legacy here in Los Angeles. It's a legacy that many of us Filipinos or Filipino-Americans can be proud of. And we should be able to pass it on to the next. You see, it's like a safe deposit box. When you get to a, somebody gives you a safe deposit box, it gives you the key, you go to the bank, you open it, you pull it out, and you make a choice. Do you look inside? Will I take it or will I leave it? See, there are two kinds of people here this morning. There are the older ones, they're leaving a legacy. The younger ones, they are receiving a legacy. And two different things. It's, it's hard to leave a legacy. It takes time. It takes a lot of effort to receive one. I remember my father is an alcoholic. He's a lawyer. He died in 1985 and he's a gambler. I did not take that legacy. I purposely avoided drinking and going to gambling because I will not receive that legacy. There was a story of a, a street kid. He grew up on the streets. He was adopted into an orphanage, became a Christian, and he studied high school, finished high school on his own, went to college, supported himself, finished accounting course, and then bought a house, married, and had a good life, had kids. And you know what he said? Everything I have today, I did not owe it to my parents. I did not have a legacy, but I choose the legacy I receive. You see, brothers and sisters, it's different. Some of us are giving legacy, some of us are receiving it. And we don't make an excuse because our parents are bad. Because we, we came from an ethnic group, or we came from a poor family, 
we choose the legacy we receive, you know. And let me put it to you, sometimes choosing is not easy. But the legacy he received and the legacy he left behind are sometimes different. When you receive an empty wallet, you know, we are the ones who fill it. When you, when you were the first one to accept Christ as Lord in your family chain, you don't need to be the last. When we experience negativism in our family or I can't, we pass on faith and endurance. When we grew up perpetual, perpetual victims, we break the tradition and be a generation of victors. We became from a home of broken promises and failures. We can choose to live and win by faith. You choose the legacy you receive. And you choose the legacy you leave behind. I think it's important. That's choosing where you're going. You know, I found out in my Christian life that many times we put a lot of attention to the finish line. And okay, until I get that house. You know, I have a relative, he's a doctor, head of hospital, very, very rich. I think he's one of the richest parts of the, our family here in the U.S. And, but he lived a very poor life. He never gave money to his three daughters. And his daughters were so bitter against him. And his wife recently died, and there's nobody else to take care of him. He has a lot of money, but he has missed life trying to get money. You know, I said John Lennon had a song, and that's uh, during the time of Pastor Benny, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Benny, life happens while we are busy making plans. Isn't it so true? We want to get that house but we, we, we ignore our kids. We want to receive a certain level and then we forget about what God is doing in our lives. We want to say, I'm going to be, when I retire, I will, I will serve you, Lord, full time, but it took a long time for you to retire. I will serve the church. I will enjoy church, but you never had time to come to church. You know, life happens in between. You know, the miracles of Jesus, most, do you go do a study? Most of the miracles of the Lord happened on the way to somewhere else. Jesus was on the way to Jairus' house. It's the, it's the women with the 12-year 12, uh, 12 issue of blood. Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, Samaritan woman. It was always on the way. What I'm saying is, maybe God didn't mean for you to receive the goals of your life. Maybe he meant for you on the way to experience miracles. See, it's not in winning the race, getting the prize. It's how you run. I call it life in between. And I read to you a poem. And then I'll uh, show a video. And I'll tell a story and I'll close, okay? In this poem, remember you go to a cemetery. You have, you look at the tombstone. You have two numbers, right? The first number is the date of birth. And the second number is the date of death. But what's in between is a dash. Now, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, our life is not our birth. Our life is not our death. It's the dash. It's in between. And I want, you read, I want to read you this poem written by Linda Ellis about the dash, the life in between. It says, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted the first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. And he said what mattered most of all 
was the dash between those years. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. And there are things you'd like to change. For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. And when your eulogy has been read, is been read, being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Life happens in between. It's on the way. How you run your race. Not who gets the prize. Life is how you live what God gives to you. I'm going to show you a video. Are we, is it okay? This is a very simple video. It's not English, but you need to read it. But it's a father. It's a son who almost missed life by ignoring his father. Let's watch this. You'll find out that uh, story of a father and a son and how things in their lives seems to have shifted. Roles have been shifted. That's for you, man. What is this? I'm going to go Ένα σπουργίτη είναι ο πατέρα. Ένα σπουργίτη. Σπουργίτη. Τι είναι αυτό. Γιατί το κάνεις αυτό το πράγμα, μπορείς να μου πεις τόσες φορές σου είπα, είναι ένα σπουργίτη. Δεν το καταλαβαίνεις. Πού πας.
Δυνατά. Σήμερα ο μικρός μου γιος που πριν λίγες μέρες έκλεισε τα τρία καθόταν μαζί μου έξω στο πάρκο όταν ένας σκουργίτη ήρθε και κάθισε απέναντί μας. Ο γιος μου με ρώτησε 21 φορές τι ήταν αυτό και το απάντησε και τις 21 φορές ότι ήταν ένα σκουργίτη. Τον αγκάλιασα τρυφερά και τις 21 φορές που μου έκανε την ίδια ερώτηση ξανά και ξανά χωρίς να εκνευριστώ νιώθοντας στοργή για το αθώο μου αγοράκι. offering uh, isn't it isn't it so true that we get into the fast pace of life and we forget to live life in between let me close with this story and I told this story this morning and this is a true story here in the United States there was a famous surgeon and he's known trying to achieve the highest pot potential of him being a surgeon in America. And he was about to operate a seven-year-old, a five-year, seven-year-old boy. So he wanted to go prepare him inside his room. The parents was there. So he sat down and he told the five-year-old boy, uh, uh, tomorrow, son, I'm going to open up your heart and I'm going to try to see what's inside. And the boy says, you'll find Jesus in my heart. If you open up my heart, you'll find Jesus there. Of course, the first the doctor kind of laughed, but he said, no, no, no. What I mean is I'm going to cut your heart open and see if there are any muscles that can be saved or if the, how, how serious the problem is. But the boy says, but if you open up my heart, you'll find Jesus there because Jesus lives in my heart. That's what the Bible says. That's what all the, that's what the hymn says and what all my parents have said, that Jesus lives in my heart. And so the surgeon really got a little bit irritated and annoyed, says, uh, okay, we'll see what happens tomorrow, and I'll talk to you the next day. So following day, they had an operation, and the doctor was reading the uh, uh, analysis in his office, and he read it, uh, deteriorated muscles, uh, uh, veins that are weakened, and a heart that is almost dying, uh, no hope for heart transplant, death within a year, no cure. And when the surgeon read it, read it, he was really angry. For the first time in his life, he prayed. He said, God, why are you doing this? You created this boy. Why would you allow him to live and then give him this miserable life and let him die within a year and no hope for a cure? He was screaming out of anger, tears falling out of his eyes, not of really sympathy, but out of anger for God. Then all of a sudden, in all his screaming, the Holy Spirit came and visited his room. And for the first time in his life, the surgeon felt the presence of God. Like a real counselor, God came and comforted his heart. Following day, he visited the boy again, out of the surgery, 
out of, the, uh, out of all the things that had happened. And so the boy was waking up, and he saw the doctor. And the boy asked the question, did you open up my heart? And the doctor says, yes. And the boy says, what did you find? And the doctor says, I found Jesus in your heart. I realize that this very simple lesson from the heart of a boy, knowing that he might have the biggest problem in the world of one year to live, but if he has Jesus in his heart, maturing, growing, he can take it. And he can live it for God. So what is with you, with us? We live in America, a very fast-paced life. Everybody's trying to outdo each other. Or you live in a nation where things are moving faster than before. Have you ever thought, stopped and thought how you're living your life for God? You might not get that house or that job or that career or that marriage or that dream that you have ever thought. Who knows? God might do it. But on the other hand, if it doesn't happen, the real question is how would you live your life? Let's live it. Choosing to win rather than giving up and losing. Let's all bow our heads and we'll pray. <clears throat> Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, is there anyone here, if you have not given up your life to the Lord, if Jesus is not really living in your heart, this is the best time. Because in the midst of a world that looks at all of us as merely statistics and numbers, the Lord knows where you live. He knows your nickname. He knows the numbers of your hair. He knows exactly who you are. Only God can know that. And so the best thing to do is to give our lives to him. So if you have not given your life 100% to the Lord or you somehow doubted the Lord or you have focused on goals, not on your, how you run your race, or you would say, Pastor Jerome, I'm just being tossed left and right by the problems of our society, then I'm going to ask you, make a decision this morning. Give your life to the Lord and live it for him. If you want to say, Pastor Jerome, yes, I want to do that, just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to raise your hand, say, Pastor Jerome, I want to do that right now, 100%. Give my life to the Lord. Raise your hands. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Yes, thank you for those hands. You want to raise it. You want to, you want to not be ashamed to say in front of the world, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian 100% in America, and I'm not going to be ashamed, and I'm going to live my life in a way that I would win. Go ahead, raise your hand, and we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray for you, lift you up, lift your marriage, lift your job. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for those hands. Just bow your heads. Let everybody raise their hands if they want to. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up, please. Let's all stand up. And I want you to just go ahead and follow me in this very simple prayer. Whether you raise your hands or not, you know, sometimes it's, it's important we hear, we, we hear ourselves pray. So we let the enemy, uh, let Satan hear our prayers. Just want to follow this prayer, just follow me. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you 100%. I will not withhold anything. I surrender everything. 
Jesus, come. Live in my life. Live in my heart. I want to live this life for you, for you alone. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this church that stands as a lighthouse here in the United States. We thank you, Father God, that you have chosen men and women to be here. Lord, men and women who knows that they are saved, they have been singled out for a purpose. Father, I pray that you cause them to see the great life that you have given them. That they might be suffering. It might not be compared to anybody else. That others might have a good deal rather than they have. But Lord, because of you, like that boy, in spite of all the troubles he has in his heart, he can still live his life because Jesus is in him. Father, we know, Lord, for a fact that be due, Lord, we can win this life and we can win our marriage and we can win in our job and we can win in our schools and we can win in our societies and we can win in this nation. So, Father God, I release that revelation of knowing it's time to live life in between for the glory of God. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Bless Pastor Benny. Bless his whole family. Bless, Lord, and anoint them. For this time and this moment in the United States, Lord, it is my request that you give them their own building. You give them their own property, Lord. They will have their own sanctuary. So, Lord, they can worship as long as they want, as many days in the week as they want, and they will have no restrictions, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I release that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.